Welcome to today's reading of the Council Plus Nonpareil for January 2nd, 2024. I'm your reader, John McPartland. Here's your first story. Judge presses pause on book ban, calling it incredibly broad and wildly overbroad. A federal judge Friday temporarily halted the implementation of most of new Iowa state law that bans school books and curriculum with depictions of sex acts and prohibits the teaching of gender identity and sexual orientation through sixth grade. The ruling means most of the new law cannot be enforced while the federal courts continue to hear legal challenges to its constitutionality. Judge Stephen H. Locker of the U.S. District Court in Iowa's Southern District in a ruling Friday halted parts of the law that prohibit books and curriculum with depictions of sex acts as well as prohibition on teaching gender identity or sexual orientation through sixth grade. The sweeping restrictions in Senate File 496 are unlikely to satisfy the First Amendment under any standard of scrutiny and thus may not be entered or may not be enforced while the case is pending, Locker said. Locker left in place the portion of the law that requires educators to notify parents when a student asks to be called by a different pronoun. Locker said the plaintiffs in this case lacked legal standing. Because the plaintiffs involved are already publicity LGBTQ, that portion of the law does not apply to them, Locker ruled. The new law was approved by only Republican state lawmakers and when signed into law by Republican Governor Kim Reynolds. It went into effect July 1st. Hundreds of books have been removed from Iowa school districts as, as school districts moved to comply with the new law. The law's enforcement measures, including possible disciplinary action for educators, was set to go into effect Monday. On the grounds that it violates their First Amendment rights to free speech, the new state law was challenged by the ACLU of Iowa, the publishing company Penguin Random House Publishing, 16 LGBTQ students in Iowa, the LGBTQ advocacy organization Iowa Safe Schools, and the Iowa State Education Association Teachers Union. Locker heard from attorneys representing the plaintiffs and the state during a three-hour hearing December 22nd. During that hearing, an attorney for the ACLU of Iowa argued that state law represents the state exercising control over matters of opinion and thought, and said, LGBTQ students are self-silencing fear of their teachers and other educators being punished under the new law. An attorney for Penguin Random House called the law an unprecedented assault on school libraries. In its defense, the state suggested that some schools may be applying that law too broadly and argued that the law simply keeps graphic depictations out of the schools. In his ruling issued Friday, Locker said, the portion of the law that bans books and curriculum with depictions of sex acts is incredibly broad and has resulted in the removal of hundreds of books from school libraries, including, among others, nonfiction history books, classic works of fiction, Pulitzer Prize-winning contemporary novels, books that regularly appear on advanced placement exams, and even books designed to help students avoid being victimized by sexual assault. 
on the portion of the law that prohibits the teaching of gender identity and sexual orientation through sixth grade, Locker notes the law defines those terms in generic terms, meaning the law would apply to the teaching of all gender identity and sexual orientation, not just when it pertains to LGBTQ individuals. The law, the law forward programs, promotion and instruction to students in those grades relating to gender identity and sexual orientation, but those terms are defined a neutral way that makes no distinction between cisgender and transgender identity or gay or straight relationships, meaning on its face, the law forbids any programs, promotion, or instruction recognizing that anyone is male or female or in a relationship of any sort, gay or straight, Locker wrote. The statute is therefore content neutral, but so wildly overbroad that every school district and elementary school teacher in the state has likely been violating it since the day the school year started. Conversely, Locker also wrote that the law is being misunderstood at grades 7 and above. Locker noted that the law does not prohibit the teaching of gender identity or sexual orientation at those grades. There is no prohibition on the existence of gay-straight alliances in schools or on education assisting these groups. Teachers and other licensed professionals are no way restricted in any way from serving as advisors from such gay-straight alliances, displaying rainbow flags, providing instruction on gay and transgender rights, and otherwise performing their responsibilities in a manner that emphasizes inclusiveness and respect for LGBTQ plus students in grades 7 and above. Likewise, students in grades 7 and above are free to engage in whatever forms of expression they wish, subject only to generally applicable restrictions that apply equally to all students, Locker wrote. To the extent to the extent school districts, teachers, or students have been inter, interpreting the law, otherwise they are simply wrong. Reynolds, in a statement, said she was extremely disappointed by the judge's ruling. Instruction on gender identity and sexual orientation has no place in kindergartner through sixth grade classrooms, she said, and there should be no question that books containing sexual explicit content is clearly defined in Iowa law do not belong in a school library for children. The fact that they're even arguing these issues is ridiculous. The real debate should be about why society is so intent on over-sexualizing our young children. It's wrong, and I will continue to do my part to protect their innocence. Iowa State Education Association President Mike Brennick called the temporary implementation of the new law a big win for education professionals, students, and parents. When education professionals return to work next week, they can do what they do best, take great care of their students without fear of reprisal. We are incredib incredibly proud of the thousands of education professionals and employees in Iowa's public schools. This ruling means that they can continue successfully guiding all students without fear of punishment or losing their jobs. The ACLU of Iowa also applauded the ruling in a statement issued with its legal partner in this case, Lambda Legal. We are glad our clients, Iowa families, and students will be able to continue the school year free from harm caused by these parts of this unconstitutional law, Nathan Maxwell, senior attorney for Lambda Legal, said in the statement. 
This decision sends a strong message to the state that efforts to ban books based on LGBTQ plus content or target speech that sends a message of inclusion to Iowa LGBTQ plus students cannot stand. And now we've got a story by Tim Rower of the Nom Pharrell. England, new sheriff from Mills County. Josh England will continue to serve as Mills County Sheriff through 2024. The Mills County Board of Supervisors unanimously approved the appointment of England to serve out the remaining one-year term of Travis Oder, who resigned as sheriff in late November. Upon that resignation, England, as chief deputy, automatically became sheriff pending either an appointment or a special election. The board chose appointing a sheriff, Chairman Lonnie Mayberry said Thursday. Elections are expensive. There were initially three applicants, although one later withdrew, Mayberry said. Last week, the board interviewed the two remaining applicants, which included England. The board chose England based on his experience in that office, which included being sheriff the past few weeks. England joined the... uh, County Sheriff's Office in June of 2009. Following his appointment, England was sworn in by County Magistrate Keith Tucker. The appointment still could be challenged by petition. Iowa law allows local residents to call for a special election up to 14 days after the appointment, according to the Mills County Auditor's Office. At least 827 signatures would be needed, based on 10% of the turnout, of the last election in which the sheriff was on the ballot, which was 2020. Without such a petition, the board's appointment would become permanent. The position of sheriff will be up for re-election in November of 2024. England told the nonpareil he was happy to be appointed. As sheriff, England's salary is $97,000. I hope I can continue moving the office in the right direction, he said. The deputies in the office wrote a letter to the Board of Supervisors encouraging them to appoint him, England said. He said he wants to get the office back to full strength. We're down a deputy, so we need to get one hired, he said. England said he wants to remain in the sheriff's office going forward, but he does not plan to stand for election to the top job next England. England's wife, Jamie, said of her husband, I know he will do a great job. Council picks next mayor in Glenwood. Angela Winquest is the new mayor of Glenwood. Winquest was appointed by the Glenwood City Council at a special meeting Friday afternoon. She was among five applicants who sought to replace Ron Cole, who resigned as mayor in late November, citing personal reasons. Winquest will fill out the remaining two years of Kahn's term. After the council accepted Kahn's replacement, it voted to seek his replacement through the appointment process. City Administrator Amber Farnham said they could have held a special election, but it, but it would have been costly. Under law, under Iowa law, council has up to 60 days to fill a vacancy by appointment. However, the Glenwood Council wanted to have a mayor in place by the first meeting in January, when next year's budget process gets started, Fernand said. Interviews with five applicants took place on Wednesday. I'm honored to be chosen, Winquest said after being sworn in. Voters in a city have the right to petition for a special election by gathering the required number of the signatures based on voter turnout in the last election. In this case, a petition would need at least 104 signatures, which is 15% of the local voter turnout in the November election. 
The petition would also have to be filed with the city within 14 days of the appointment. If no such appointment, if no such petition is fi filed, then Windquest's appointment by the council would remain permanent. Hamburg veteran honored for service. Patrick Gilson was recently honored for his commitment and service to veterans in southwest Iowa. Mark Stockstell, director of Fremont County Veterans Affairs, recognized Gilson during the December 27th meeting of the Fremont County Board of Supervisors. Stockstell highlighted Gilson's achievements and dedicated as a volunteer. The Iowa Association of County Commissioners and Veteran Services Officers have recognized Patrick Gilson for his 15 years of service. We realize that it's been more than 15 years, <clears throat> and I believe it's very important that the state is now recognizing these type of efforts by individuals. Stockstell said that Gilson provides oversight and guidance in matters concerning the budget and services for veterans in Fremont County. The key challenge we face is outreach. How do we connect with eligible individuals and ensure they receive the services they deserve, Stockstill said. Pat has been an integral part of this effort for many years, and I am thrilled to recognize him today. His commitment goes beyond serving our country. He is dedicated to serving our veterans, and that's truly special. Gilson expressed his gratitude for the recognition. The outreach is a significant aspect, and it requires a symbiotic relationship with the Board of Supervisors to help us achieve our goals within the county's budget constraints, Gibson said. I appreciate working with good supervisors. Thank you. Gilson, who farms east of Hamburg, has deep roots in the military, with his father having served in the U.S. Air Force. A Hamburg native, Gilson also served in the Air Force. After returning home, he got involved with the American Legion Post 128 in Sydney and Hamburg Post 156. Gilson was the commander of the Sydney Post for several years. When it came my time to serve, I served during Panama and Desert Storm as a survival equipment specialist, Gilson said. I came back home to farm and got involved with the American Legion in Sydney and Hamburg. When a veteran commissioner stepped down, I was, by, I was asked by a few of the Legion members if I was interested in taking his place. I've been here ever since. It's important to me to see that our area veterans get the services they need and deserve. Planned Business Park by Carter Lake, airport embroiled in conflict. A battle is ratcheting up over who will control nearly 90 million in public funds intended to launch a job-producing business park near Nebraska's largest airport. In an email this week to some lawmakers, State Senator Justin Wayne of North Omaha, who helped shepherd the idea through the legislature, criticized aspects of the proposal believed to be in the top contender for the dollars. They're seeking their help to go a different route. That's insane, Wayne said, of the estimated cost just to get the ground ready. My concern is, what do we get for the $90 million? Are they even going to build anything vertical? If you don't have a structure, you don't have a job. The team behind the 47-page master plan, the Greater Omaha Chamber, Burlington Capital, and the nonprofit Omaha Economic Development Corporation defends its projections. They say Wayne and other legislatures were well aware of a substantial expense involved in preparing the area for construction 
including property acquisition, cleanup, new roads, and utility installation. The scope of the airport business park concept has always been the development of large, shovel-ready lots, the team said in a statement. Our study and planning effort simply updated the cost estimates that the senators had seen previously. Overall, the group's master plan obtained by the Nebraska Examiner projects a nearly $200 million price tag to establish an industrial and commercial business park on two sites around Carter Lake near Epley Airfield. It out outlines how the nearly $90 million in state funds will contribute to a broader project that, when fully built out in several years, could attract businesses capable of creating up to 1,600 jobs. Other possible funding sources are listed but not yet secured. The Department of Economic Development awarded the OEDC Chamber Team $400,000 to put together the planning document. Initially, a spokesman said the partners were competitors, but later decided to join forces. DED's deadline to accept other proposals for the nearly $90 million is January 2nd. Among Wayne's bigger beefs, he said, is inadequate input sought from North Omaha neighbors for the business park. The largest single project funded from roughly $400 million appropriated by the legislature for North and South Omaha Economic Recovery Initiative following the pandemic. Wayne said the funding represents a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a historically neglected area of the state, and he wants to know that the public dollars spent will produce jobs and economic growth as legislature intended. In, his, in the email letter to his legislative colleagues, Wayne urges a stop to the ongoing DED process to select a business park developer. He said the governor's office has not responded to that same request. Wayne asked his colleagues to instead back his effort to redirect the $90 million in state funds to a different entity, an inland port authority that the city of Omaha wants to create. Wayne and State Senator Terrell McKinney, who also represents North Omaha, appeared before the Omaha City Council earlier this week to support formation of the Port Authority. If approved, the new entity would be charged with managing a newly designed district of about 300 acres near the airport. Its nine-member governing board would have economic development powers, including the ability to sell revenue bonds, for development within the zone. Wayne said the board, whose members would be appointed by the Omaha mayor, subject to approval by the city council, would be more accountable to the public. He wants the Port Authority to be the primary overseer and point of contact for a host of operations within the 300-acre zone, including the proposed Innovation Hub and Multipurpose Center in Levi Carter Park. This is not an uncommon or new concept, said in his letter, adding that the Omaha port would follow the model of Hershey Rail Park near North Platte. The legislature put $30 million behind the Hershey effort. The DED ultimately reviews requests for inland port authority status. There are three such entities across the street, a state, including in Hershey. A DED spokesman said the state agency welcomes an Omaha application. It referred questions about the department possibly yielding control of the business park fund to the governor's office, which declined to comment. 
The Chamber OEDC team, however, was forthright in its statement. The partnership said that the shift of control from the DED at this point would create delay and additional cost in launching the business park. Every time this concept has been studied in shelves, cost increased, the team said. We believe the concept has been more than sufficiently studied. It is time to get those dollars into the community and begin the long process of creating development ready lots. Land acquisition is expected to take up to two years, the group said, adding that it's ready to begin. Our team is able to move more quickly and can immediately begin work on the business park while we evaluate a future partnership with the Port Authority, the team's statement said. Even before the legislature allotted the $90 million, the Chamber has had a North Omaha Industrial Park as a priority, said Mark Norman, the Omaha Chamber's Vice President of Economic Development. It is no secret that cons- that considerably challenge comes with securing a shovel-ready site, including environmental remitation. He said, it has always been clear that those needs require significant investment before business recruitment and job creation can begin. Several state senators say they say they were still digesting details of Wayne's letters, but those contacted for interviews said they were open to Wayne's requests. Senator Tom Brewer of Gordon said he was disappointed by the funding process apparently has not flowed, as Wayne and McKinney had helped. It has really turned into an ineffective mess, Brewer said. He said he'd explored the shifting of the state funds to an inland port authority. Senator Ben Hansen of Blair saw Wayne's concern as legitimate and said he was not too terribly surprised that kink surfaced in state government attempts to implement such large amount of money. He said he hadn't done enough research yet to know if he would support redirecting the business park fund from the DED. Senator Luann Leem Linehan of West Omaha says she is worried that funds earmarked by the legislature for North and South Omaha may be drifting away from the original intent. She said she trusted the concern of the senators who sponsored the legislature. I'm hoping everybody will calm down, take a deep breath, and take a look at this again. Iowa Community College see increased enrollment. Iowa's community colleges are seeing returns on recruiting efforts and partnerships with schools and businesses in the form of rising enrollment in 2023. Enrollment in community colleges grew by 3.8% from last year, according to the Iowa Department of Education 2023 Fall Enrollment Report, with a total of 85,362 students spread across the state. Part-time student numbers reached an all-time high, making up two-thirds of that total enrollment. Iowa Western Community College reported an enrollment of 5,635 up just 0.1% from 2022. About 42% of Iowa Western students are full-time. While enrollment isn't back where it was before the COVID-19 pandemic began with more than 88,000 students attending community colleges in 2019, the report stated that this is the second year of increased enrollment in the state. I think that despite challenges facing higher education nationally, Faring well, Community College for Iowa Executive Director Emily Shields said. 
Out of the state's 15 community colleges, nine saw increased enrollment. Des Moines Area Community College saw the highest number of enrolled students at 24,418 and the largest over-year increase of almost 13%. Indian Hills Community College saw the largest decrease in enrollment, dropping by 3.7% to 3,236 students. Iowa falls behind the national average with its enrollment trends, according to the report. National enrollment in two-year institutions increased by 4.4%, helped by a 9% increase in part-time students. In Iowa, part-time student enrollment increased by just 0.8%. Full-time enrollment also dropped in both Iowa and across the country, with the state reporting a 0.8% decrease in the U.S. and the U.S. seeing a 0.2% drop. Joint enrollment, in which students are simultaneously taking high school and college credit classes, increased in Iowa by 7.9%, while the national average increased by 8.8%. Shield says she doesn't like to compare the state and national numbers with joint enrollment as she believes Iowa has been ahead of other states with tapping that market and already has seen major growth. The biggest issue four-year universities and community colleges alike are up against is predicted drop in enrollment. Shield said and it is a two-pronged problem. The first factor is that there will be fewer students graduating high school in the coming years, making the pool of applicants to colleges smaller. The other challenge is that fewer high school graduates are choosing to seek any post-secondary education, despite the majority of careers requiring a certification or degree of some kind. We're facing a lot of pressures that are kind of driving down enrollment and nationally that we're trying to address locally in different ways, but they are making it more challenging to kind keep enrollment where it needs to be and keep college affordable and continue to attract students, Shield says. Efforts on the national level, level to expand financial aid for certain programs could help boost enrollment and certification and other non-degree training programs, Shield says. The Bipartisan Workforce Pell Act, which has passed out of the U.S. House Education and Workforce Committee, would extend Pell Grant eligibility to some short-term workforce programs like those implemented by Iowa's community colleges. Judging by the 7.9% increase in joint enrollment and 3.1% jump in career program enrollment, Shield says those strides seem to be paying off. Now we're going to continue with an opinion. The dementia crisis is here and needs training. Assisted living staff are often overworked, poorly paid, miss medicine, and ignore alarms. The number of Americans over the age of 65 is rising quickly. In the past century, it has grown at nearly five times the rate of the rest of the population and is now approaching 60 million people. That includes about 15.5 million added since 2010. This is good news for the widening community of people who are enjoying happy, healthy, golden years. And yet, a rise in older Americans also means a rise in Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. More families are struggling with the challenge of caring for them. Recent years have brought a substantial increase in people with dementia residing in assisted living homes. As a Washington Post investigative series has revealed, 
In appalling detail, these centers aren't always equipped to provide special care that people with dementia need. To be sure, assisted living centers were not created as homes for people with dementia or any other serious health problems. Back in the 1980s, when the assisted living concept began, the expectation was that the elderly went to nursing homes. Assisted living centers were for older people who could manage independently. As the over 65 demographic has bloomed, however, the number of people experiencing dementia has risen too, to about 7 million as of 2020. That figure could approach 12 million by 2040. Invariably, people with dementia have become much more prevalent in assisted living centers. About a third of a living a third of assisted living residents have dementia, according to the Alzheimer's Association. Many are in memory care units, but more can be found in the general assisted living population. Some are just beginning to experience troubling symptoms, and too often assisted living cannot provide the special attention they need. The Post reporters found many instances in which assisted living staff members, often overworked and poorly paid, neglected patients, missed giving them their medicines, skipped scheduled bed checks, or ignored alarms. Far worse, they found that in the past five years, some 2,000 residents had been able to walk away from assisted living homes or were left unattended outdoors. This problem, which threatens to worsen, is already widespread enough to call for system-wide solutions. States should require minimum staff levels according to the patient population size. Only 13 states have such rules. More important, assisted living staff need to be trained to understand dementia, including the disorientation, confusion, and behavioral changes it causes, and to work compassionately with residents who have it. The search for a cure will yield results over the long term. In the here and now, there is great urgency to helping the millions already diagnosed with dementia thrive. Societies should be equally devoted to ensuring that they get the care, protection, and respect that they need. You are listening to the Council Plus Nonparel on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and the print disabled. I'm your reader, John McPartman. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS programs, give us a call at 515-243-6833. Iowa's first transgender elected seeks Iowa House seat. Iowa's first transgender elected official hopes to become Iowa's first transgender state lawmaker. Hiawatha City Council member Amy Wickendall, a Democrat, is running for Iowa House District 80 which covers Hiawatha, Robbins, and part of Cedar Rapids. State Representative Art Stodd, Democrat from Cedar Rapids, currently represents the district, but intends to run for the Iowa Senate seat, being vacated by Democratic incumbent Todd Taylor. Wichtendahl, who in 2015 became the first transgender Iowan elected to public office, has advocated against state legislation that would affect transgender youth. She said sweeping new laws passed this year by Republican lawmakers and signed into law by Republican Governor Kim Reynolds that place restrictions on LGBTQ students 
school materials, and access to abortion and create new taxpayer-funded private school scholarships prompted her candidacy. We have a government that wants your vote, but not your opinion, Wickendall said. Former Iowa GOP state lawmaker running again as Democrat. A former longtime Republican state lawmaker who made national headlines for switching parties in a rebuke of then-President Donald Trump is running again as a Democrat for a seat in the Iowa legislature. Former Iowa Representative Andy McKean of Anamosa is seeking the Iowa House seat currently held by Representative Steve Bradley, Republican from Cascade, in the November 2024 election. In 2019, McKean was the longest-serving Republican in the Iowa legislature when he switched to the Democratic Party. McKean said the move largely stemmed from his philosophical differences with then-President Donald Trump. I think most Iowans really want to end the cycle of swinging from extreme, from one extreme to the other and are tired of extremisms and excessive partisanship, McKinney said. Here's a story uh, by Jared Strong of the Iowa Capitol Dispatch. Eminent domain opposed. GOP presidential talk, CO2 pipelines. Republican presidential contenders are generally against using eminent domain to build carbon dioxide pipelines in Iowa, according to their public statements in recent months and information their campaigns have provided the Iowa's capital dispatch. The issue is a regional dispute that has gained wider attention as the candidates seek Iowans' votes in the upcoming First in the Nation caucuses. Three such pipelines have been proposed in Iowa in recent years. One of the projects failed amid regulatory setbacks, but two others are pending. Summit Carbon Solutions is the furthest along in its permitting process in Iowa. Final arguments about its permit are due next month, after which the Iowa Utility Board will decide whether to approve the project and the company's use of eminent domain to obtain land easements for about a quarter of its nearly 700-mile route in the state. Many of those who oppose the project argue that eminent domain is improper because the pipeline system doesn't serve a sufficient public benefit. There's also those that are ambivalent about the projects, pipeline projects themselves, but who still oppose their use of eminent domain. Nearly 80% of Iowans oppose the use of eminent domain for the pipelines, according to the Des Moines Register, Mediacom, Iowa Poll in March. And it's an issue that is being raised by a presidential campaign event. In a July appearance in Council Bluffs, former President Donald Trump appeared unprepared to field a question about the pipeline situation. Well, you know, we're working on that, Trump said. And you know, we had a plan to totally... It's such a ridiculous situation, isn't it? But we had a plan, and we would have initiated that plan. It was all ready, but we will get it right away. If we win, that's going to be taken care of. That will be one of the easy things we do. His campaign did not respond to a request to comment further about the issue. There is a narrow role of eminent domain to things that are of really significant public use, DeSantis said in a Garner said in Garner in August, according to Radio Iowa. I mean, it has been used for highways. I would use it for the border wall down south if needed, 
but that would kind of be a last resort. In September, Haley told Radio Iowa she, she supports the pipeline concept for their potential to help the ethanol industry, but that eminent domain should not be used to build them. I want us to be energy dominant, and I think we do that by having an all-of-the-above energy approach. But we have to always be respectful of the rights and freedom of hardworking Americans, Haley said. Summit's pipeline system would span five states and would transport captured carbon dioxide from ethanol plants to North Dakota for underground storage. The project would enable the company and ethanol producers to also capture general federal tax credits for sequestering the gas, greenhouse gas and for producing low-carbon fuels. Ethanol producers would further benefit from the ability to sell their fuels in low-carbon markets. Opposition to the pipelines and the state rules that regulate them has grown over time. The GOP-controlled Iowa House approved legislation to restrict the use of eminent domain for the projects in its last legislative session. ISU research could enable new treatment. Findings from a group of Iowa State University researchers could lead to the ability to create new blood stem cells from a patient's own blood, possibly doing away with the need for bone marrow transplants. ISU Assistant Professor of Genetics, Development, and Cell Biology, Raquel Espen-Palazan, and her team discovered that a microbial sensor that aids in finding bacterial infections, known as NOD1, also plays a key role in the creation of blood stems blood stem cells. Learning this information and finding where in the process it takes place will allow, allow researchers to make strides in reproducing functional blood stem cells in vitro, which Esquin said cannot currently be done. We cannot produce blood, stems, blood stem cells that are going to be able to be transplanted and cure diseases, cure leukemia, and, and an anemia. So we're real, really trying to find which switches to touch in those protocols in vitro to make those blood stem cells. And this is NOD1. It is very important and a critical switch. Before an embryo's heart even begins to beat, some of the endothelial cells that are forming its vascular system are instead becoming blood stem cells. A lifetime's worth of these will be created before birth. The NOD1 microbial receptor needs to be activated before those endothelial cells transform into blood stem cells. If NOD1 can be activated in immature stem cells taken from a patient, blood stem cells can then be created to treat them. For some patients diagnosed with blood diseases and disorders, the only treatment available is a bone marrow or umbilical cord blood transplant. Finding matching donors for these transplants can be very difficult. Even if a match is found and the transplant is successful, the recipient has more than a 50% chance of developing graft versus host disease, which can be deadly. If we could generate patient-specific blood stem cells in the dish, then we don't have to find donors and we wouldn't have the graft versus host disease. So that would cure a lot of people. Arena football rolls back into Council Plus. The Iowa Rampage has arrived 
and cut the ribbon to begin the tenure of Council Bluff's newest pro, pro sports team on Friday evening at the Mid-American Center. We are very excited to get started, co-owner Trevor Burdett said. When we got into this, we were a little worried about how welcoming Council Bluffs would be, and the support has been amazing. We've met some great people and never thought we'd be a month or two into this and having a beer with the mayor and the meeting so much of the community. It is great to everything come to fruition. The Iowa Rampage comes into Council Bluffs as the first arena football team to call the Mid-American Center home since 2013. The public got to meet the team owners, Trevor Burdett and Mike Talafiro, team office representatives, players, and head coach Brandon Henderson, who had also who was also excited to see such a turnout from the community on Friday. Just to bring arena football back to Council Bluffs feels amazing, Henderson said. You've got the Omaha Beef, who have been around for 25 years plus, one of the longest tenured teams, and a while ago here, the Iowa Blackhawks. Here, just 10 years later, we are bringing a team back. There's just big excitement here in the community. With the AFL relaunching itself in multiple cities, a handful were eager to welcome a team. <clears throat> but a few things stood out to Burdett that sold Council Bluffs to be the one location for the new AFL. Back in early summer, we were initially looking in the Kansas City area, but there weren't any markets or arenas that would work with us because of our time frame, Burnett said. There was a gentleman who earlier was trying to bring a team here, but wasn't able to put as much energy into it as we can. So we took over and got to work over here in late September. And when we saw this arena, that really helped solidify it for us. The technology here with the big screen and the fact that the arena is willing to work with us and have it managed by Caesars Entertainment is great because it gives us access to a lot of features like catering and such. So we're really pumped about what's about to happen throughout the season and all the cool stuff this, suit, this place allows us to do. The arena management was very excited about the idea of having an arena football team come back. They're been giving us a good deal of free reign to do what we want here, which gives us a lot of options to entertain the people coming to the games and for the football fans. They've been very welcoming to us. Council Bluff's history in the sports of football was another selling point for the team, from high school state championships to national championships at the college level over the years. Coach Henderson and the Rampage staff loved the history and culture of Council Bluffs and are eager to put their own mark on the area's success. I think professional football is another step to this city's rich his history, Henderson said. You've got Iowa Western who has won back-to-back -back national championships. You have multiple high schools here with multiple state titles. The history and tradition here in Council Bluffs is rich. Winning in Winning is here in Council Bluffs, so why not bring the AFL to the city and add that story here? The AFL is a winning league that's been around for decades, and we're looking to add to this city's tradition. The community has really accepted us in. The more word that spreads about us, the more excitement we are and to see. The most exciting thing is just having professional football back in Council Bluffs. Bringing a national spotlight here, playing on national television, 
and playing here in the MAC, I couldn't be more hyped for our future here. Players and coaches will be from all over the country, Henderson said. Having some AFL experience as a player and coach spoken why the Rampage will be unlike any other team Counts Plus has had before or across the river in Omaha. We're a professional football team. The next best, the next best thing to the NFL is right here, Henderson said. We are partners in a feeder program to the Canadian Football League and to the NFL. To bring this professional feel back to Council Plus is great. We've got people in this community already believing in what we want to do, and we're excited to represent this city. We've noticed there's a bit of Council Bluffs and Omaha River rivalry, Burnett said. In the end, we just want Council Bluffs to have something they can be proud of, and not even just Council Bluffs, but to all of southwest Iowa. We have some sponsors from businesses in Underwood. We have some schools like Tri-Center coming in to do some photography and video work for us as well. So we're looking to involve the whole Southwest Iowa community and not just Council Bluffs and get some of the folks across the river from Omaha to here. The AFL is a different league with different rules, and I think we have a higher caliber of players. So I think we can offer entertainment value to the fans out there. Season tickets are on sale now and single-game tickets will start at $15 per ticket. Training camp for the AFL begins on April 1st, and the season begins on April 24th on the road against Rapid City. The first home game will be May 11th against the Georgia Force. Family of slain teens say police needed training. The family of a 16-year-old who was killed by the Des Moines Police in December 2022 has filed a lawsuit arguing that the teen never pointed a gun at officers and police should have better training in de-escalation before the confrontation. The shooting of Trevante Jenkins was linked to the January 23rd shooting at the Starts Right Here Alternative School in Des Moines that left two teenagers dead and the program's founder injured. Disparaging comments about Jenkins surfaced while online following the police shooting whose prosecutors say led Jenkins' half-brother and another teen to kill 16-year-old Rashad Carr and 18-year-old Gianna DeMarin. Jenkins' sibling, Brayvon Tukes, was acquitted this fall of a murder charge after prosecutors accused him of helping planning the school shooting and acting as a getaway driver. Preston Walls was convicted of murder and manslaughter in a separate trial. The federal lawsuit that Jenkins' mother, Monica Woods, filed is based partly on body camera video that has never been released to the public. The Des Moines Register reports that the lawsuit says Jenkins never pointed a gun at officers. The Iowa Attorney General's office determined three officers acted with legal justification when they fired more than a dozen times during the confrontation. Officers were dispatched to the home to respond to a domestic dispute and have said they tried unsuccessfully to de-escalate the situation. Police spokesman Sergeant Paul Parisic declined to comment on pending litigation. The lawsuit says that at one point Jenkins started a conversation with one of the officers while the others kept shouting at him to drop the gun. As part of the exchange, he made comments about one of his other brothers 
who had been killed in an Arizona shooting the month before and said, I want to die. It says he also told the officers he would put the gun down if they would shut off the lights they were pointing at him. At one point, the team, the teen looked at his cell phone in his left hand while he began raising the gun toward his head. The lawsuit said the gun was never pointed in the direction of any of the officers, but they opened fire when Jenkins' arm was parallel to the ground. The lawsuit said the officers should have better training and a way to defuse a confrontation and better supervision. DeSantis seeks to undercut Haley in Iowa. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis enlisted the help of conservative South Carolina State Senator Josh Kimbrell in Iowa as he scrambles to head off Republican presidential rival Nikki Haley. Haley, a former South Carolina governor and former United Nations ambassador, has gained ground in Iowa, the leadoff nominating state, polling even with DeSantis for second place in recent polling of likely Republican Iowa caucus goers. DeSantis and Kimbrell stopped Thursday evening at Mr. Bean's coffee shop in Marion, where they addressed and took questions from a crowd of less than 100 supporters and media. The reason I'm here today is because our state is a red state, and it's redder because of Governor DeSantis being governor of Florida than Nikki Haley being the governor of South Carolina. Kimbrell, who represents South Carolina, deeply conservative upstate region, told the crowd. Governor DeSantis stands better for South Carolina values than Nikki Haley stood for South Carolina values, he continued. Because in Florida, he stood up for parental rights. He stood up for the notion that you can raise your kids better than a government bureau can. He stood up for the radical notion that there are two genders in the United States of America. We shouldn't be teaching our four-year-old to change everything. He has stood up to cut taxes and to promote school choice. South Carolina state lawmakers also have passed multiple school choice and parental rights bills because we emulated what Ron DeSantis did. I can say as a South Carolinian, and it's not personal, it's not about personalities, it's about you've got a governor in Florida who has a consistent record on the issues, Kimbrough told reporters afterwards. Haley says the right stuff, but the record doesn't back it up. Haley's campaign told CNN, here's a quick refresher. Nikki is a conservative outsider who took on the establishment to put votes on the record. It's sad to see Ron DeSantis stooping to such desperate lame attacks, and nothing will save his dying campaign, her campaign spokeswoman told CNN. Kimbrell is the latest DeSantis alloy, ally to join him on the campaign trail as he makes his closing pitch to Iowa voters just weeks from the January 15th Iowa caucuses. DeSantis and surrogates such as Republican U.S. Representative Chip Roy of Texas and Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt barnstormed Iowa before Christmas. DeSantis will be joined Friday at an event in Clayton County by Republican Governor Kim Reynolds, who has endorsed his campaign. Former President Donald Trump continues to hold a consistent and commanding lead over the Republican presidential primary candidates both nationally and in Iowa, ahead of the first in the nation Iowa Republican caucuses. He is just over 50% in the rolling polling 
averages at both real clear politics and 530 weight with roughly 30 point leads over the rest of the field. DeSantis argued Republicans nominating Trump in 2024 is a high risk choice with low reward for the party and said Trump would be a lame duck if elected for a second term. If you look at what is going to happen in 2024, you know we have a couple of options. We can have the option with the former president being the nominee for a third time in a row and the whole election will be about him and will be about all these different investigations and legal cases which look I think they're unfair I will file Jack I will fire Jack Smith on day one when I'm president DeSantis told the crowd nevertheless the media and the Democrats that's what they want the election to be about they do not want Biden to face any accountability he said Trump would be a drag on the party in general in a general election as he was Republicans in 2020 and 2022 even if somehow he could surmount that, you have a lame duck president on day one, DeSantis said. How are you going to be able to get things done? How are you going to be able to recruit the personnel that you need to? The Florida governor said Trump failed to drain the swamp in Washington while serving in the White House and uh, lacked many legislative accomplishments while in office, instead using executive orders that can be overturned by a new administration to advance his policies and agenda. DeSantis said if he is elected, Republicans would be expanding the majority in the U.S. House and rest back control of the Senate, and he would adopt a tactic used by President Joe Biden uh, in budget reconciliation processes to pass his agenda in Congress. Ultimately, you either produce those results or you don't, DeSantis said. To sit here and have slogans and campaign and say all the stuff, that's fine. I want to bring it all in for a landing. And that's what I did in Florida. I delivered on 100% of the promises, finished, done, and delivered. And I'm the only one running that has beaten the left across the board on issue after issue. That's what it's going to take to turn this country around. He said Iowans have an opportunity to change the trajectory of politics in this country. This will reverberate the Iowa caucuses, not just across the country, but really across the world, DeSantis said. So you have an opportunity to do that. And I'm motivated to run because I see us to be in jeopardy of being the first generation of Americans to leave to our kids and grandkids an America less prosperous and less free than the one we inherited. This brings us to an end of today's reading of the Council of Nonparel. I'm John McPartland, your reader for today. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Services for the Blind.
Roxanne Watson is on a mission. Hello, how are you doing today? She wants more people to register as organ, eye, and tissue donors. Are you an organ donor? Yes, I am. Yay. My goal is to sign up the most people in the United States. <laughs> what drives her? Roxanne's own life was saved through the gift of a heart transplant, made possible by an organ donor. I decided that day that I was going to devote myself to the cause of organ donation and signing people up and honoring my donor by doing that. Now she's back to health, and she's a powerful force, helping to save lives every day through her work. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Eight people can be helped with the major organs, and up to 50 people can be helped with a little bit of everything. And when you think about it that way, that you could help that many people, it's amazing, it really is. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.